Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Today we are going to be in the book of Genesis, more specifically uh, Genesis chapter 41. So if you have your paper Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there now. But before we jump into the text, I have a question for us all to consider and ponder. The question is going to be on the screen. Here it is. Is there someone in your life that has remarkable faith? Is there someone in your life that has remarkable faith? Now, as you think about who that person could be, this person could still be around today. This person that you're thinking of could be somebody that's, that's already passed away. But is there someone in your life that has remarkable faith? To help explain this question a little bit more, I want to define that word remarkable. So here's a definition of the word remarkable. There it is. Worthy of being noticed, especially as being, I love these two words here, uncommon or extraordinary. Uncommon or extraordinary. So when we think about these people, whoever that is that you have in your mind that has remarkable faith, it's that remarkable faith, it's, a, it's uncommon, it's extraordinary. So is there someone in your life that displays that kind of remarkable faith? As I was thinking throughout my life, there was one, one person that popped up easily above the rest, and the chances or likelihood of anyone in here knowing who this person is is next to zero. But this person had an amazing, just massive impact on my life. His name is Jimmy Fields. Here's a picture of Jimmy. Yeah, free hugs. He was good at that. Jimmy Fields, this man played a uh, massive role in me uh, uh, saying yes to Jesus and eventually stepping into pastoral ministry. So big thanks to Jimmy for that. Um, but there's something about this man, Jimmy, like he's one of those people that when you're around him for just a little bit of time, even if it's just for a few moments, you leave encouraged. Like he's one of those people you leave spiritually challenged just by being around him just a little bit. But I want to share, there's one moment in the story of Jimmy Fields that's more remarkable to me than almost any other moment, and it stands out above the rest. To give some context to this moment, Early 2016, Jimmy Fields was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Um, he was given just a few months to live, not much time left. And the cancer began to eat his body away. Um, he didn't look like that um, for very long after he had got the diagnosis. So fast forward a little bit. It's late 2016. And Jimmy Fields was at church one weekend, and that was one of the remarkable things about Jimmy, is Jimmy was at church every weekend despite what was going on in his life. Jimmy Fields is sitting in the back, back row, and I'm standing behind him uh, near the back of the auditorium. And I look up, and I see Jimmy. Now, you gotta remember, his body was deteriorated. It was falling apart. He couldn't stand up on his own. And I see him lean over to his wife and then his daughter and ask them the question of, can you help me stand up? So, he helps, so they help him stand up while worship is going on. And then he asks them another question. Can you raise my arms for me so I can still worship Jesus in the midst of what I'm going through? So I saw this man who was in pain, he couldn't move on his own, but he was at service, he was at church in the middle of worship, having his wife and his daughter have a hand on his back, holding him up, and another hand lifting his arms up so he could praise Jesus in the midst of his sickness. And this is what I started thinking of. 
that's remarkable. That's remarkable. That's uncommon. Like when I see a moment like that, I remember thinking, like, he really believes this stuff. This Jesus stuff is big to him. Jesus changed this man's life. Now, to me, when I look at people like Jimmy and I think of people like Jimmy in my life, and I know there's a lot more in my life that have remarkable faith, as I'm, as I'm sure many of us in here have thought of those people that have that remarkable faith, I get spiritually challenged. I get spiritually challenged by people like Jimmy who has this remarkable faith. And I don't know about you, but I would love, love to have that kind of remarkable faith, that uncommon, extraordinary faith that people one day talk about me and say, Cameron had some remarkable faith. Now, now that we know a little bit more of where I'm heading with this idea of remarkable faith, I'm gonna do a quick poll in here. By show of hands, who in here would say that they wanna have remarkable faith? Pretty much every person in here says, I want to have remarkable faith. So the question then is, how do we have remarkable faith in our lives? And the truth is, the reality is, is most of us probably won't have a story like Jimmy. We probably won't have a story like Jimmy. But the truth is still the same, that despite the differences in our story, we can still have remarkable faith in our families. We can still have remarkable faith at our jobs. We can still have remarkable faith in our finances. We can still have remarkable faith in all areas of our lives. But to know how we have remarkable faith, there's another question that we must answer also. And that question is, what does remarkable faith look like? Well, the great thing about the Bible is that the Bible gives us many different examples as to what remarkable faith looks like. Here's just a few examples. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith Remarkable faith is assurance that the Lord is with me, that God is there in front of me. Even though visibly I can't see him, I have assurance that he is there with me. In Joshua chapter one, it says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remarkable faith is being strong. It's being courageous in the face of whatever it is that we might be dealing with, adversity, it's being strong and courageous in that. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is what remarkable faith looks like. So when the Bible tells us that we can be strong and that we should be courageous, it means that when we step into our jobs, when we go to school, when we go home, when we're around our friends, we can have remarkable faith because the Lord is there with us. We can trust him, we can lean on him, not leaning on ourselves, but leaning on him that he is there with us through it all. So let's revisit that question again. It's gonna be on the screens this time. How do we live with remarkable faith? How do we live with this remarkable faith? What does remarkable faith look like personally for us in our lives? So hold that thought. We've been in this series called Joseph, Facing the Twists and Turns of Life. And today we're gonna to be looking at another moment in the story of Joseph where Joseph displayed remarkable faith and where that remarkable faith eventually led him to. 
uh, just real quick, if you haven't been here uh, for every week of this series, every one of our messages in this series is online. So I would strongly encourage if you haven't been here to go back, go online, go to our website, and you can catch up and check out those messages, some great um, messages there. Um, but I also want to catch you up where we're going to be reading and starting our story of Joseph off today. So here's a little catch up for those of us that may not know the story of Joseph. So Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egyptian slavery. When he, after he sold, he's placed in the care of a man named Potiphar. While under the care of Potiphar, he's lied about, and that lie eventually gets him thrown into prison. While in prison, he gets this name for himself as being a, a dream interpreter that he can interpret dreams. We're introduced to two characters, the baker and the cupbearer. And then where we're picking up is two years after that moment with the baker and the cupbearer, Joseph is still in prison, and Pharaoh, the ruler of all the land of Egypt, has these dreams. And the dreams are pretty confusing, and he can't interpret them, and no one can interpret them at all. But the cupbearer says, hey, Pharaoh, there is a guy in prison. He's a Hebrew man, and he can interpret the dream. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph to come out of the dungeon to interpret the dreams. And we pick up in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. We're going to pause for a second, and we're going to jump ahead a little bit, because right here, Pharaoh then goes on to explain the dreams to Joseph. The dreams include cows of all different sizes and grain and all these things that I would assume would probably be pretty confusing to us. And he goes on to share these dreams, and then Joseph then, in return, interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. So here's a brief summary of the interpretation from Joseph of the dreams that Pharaoh had in verse 29, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Joseph then goes on to explain more to Pharaoh as to what he should do. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. The title of today's message is A Remarkable Faith, and there's a couple things in that text that I see that Joseph displayed this idea of remarkable faith and what we can learn from that today as well. But before we jump in, before I pray, I want to issue a challenge for all of us in the room and online today. There's a lot of things in this life that 
we want to be remarkable in, and some really good things that we want to be remarkable in. Like, for instance, we want to be a remarkable parent. We want to be remarkable in our finances. We want to be remarkable in school. We want to be a remarkable friend. There's a lot of great things. Those are good things that we should strive to be remarkable in. But can I, this is, this is my challenge, friends, is there's nothing more important in this life than our faith. There's nothing more important in this life than our faith. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there is one thing that we should be spending majority of our time on, and that is our faith and having remarkable faith. So with that, would you pray, and we'll jump in. So God, thank you first off that you are a good God who loves us and sees us and are here with us this morning. So Father, I pray as we dive into this story of Joseph, and Father, you teach us a little bit about what remarkable faith looks like. I also pray, Father, when we leave here today, we're different than when we walked in. Yeah, Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. You can fill this in. Number one, Joseph's remarkable faith required complete confidence in God. Joseph's remarkable faith required complete confidence in God. I see this in verses 15 and 16. This is Pharaoh speaking. He says, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. I love Joseph's response. He says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, Joseph, let's pause for a second. Joseph could have used this moment as an opportunity to boost himself up. Like he could have said, yeah, you're right, I can do this. And actually, earlier in verse 15, Pharaoh has a response to Joseph, and this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph. But I've heard it it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph could have said, you're right, Pharaoh, me, 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 I, 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 I can do that. Do you know how, you know how bad my life is? You just pulled me from the dungeon. Let's put some attention on me for a second. I can do this. Let me focus on the tragedies that I've been through. Did you know that my brothers sold me into slavery? That's pretty tough. I can do this. It's time for Joseph to get some of the attention, but that's not what Joseph did. Joseph said, it's not about me, it's about God. I can't do this. The attention shouldn't be on me. The attention should be on God. Just recently, I was, I, was on a, I was on a phone conversation with a friend of mine, and to give you some context of this conversation I had with this friend of mine, um, earlier in the year, we had met up, and we try to meet up occasionally. He lives, he lives in another state, and so we try to connect whenever we can. And so um, he had shared with me earlier in the year that him and his wife were actually expecting twins, which is an amazing season to be in. It's exciting. They had been praying. We had been praying together for a long time that the Lord would show up and, and give them a child, and the Lord showed up and gave them two. And so it was amazing. And so we'll fast forward a little bit to just two or three months ago. I get a phone call from this man, and he begins to explain to me about how there had been some health complications. There were some health complications, and in fact, it led his um, wife to be uh, admitted into the hospital, and then we, they had to get the kids out to give them any shot of living. Tragically, one of the kids did pass away. But, but I share this story because I want to share not just what happened to him, but the back half of that phone conversation. So the first five to six minutes was, was this man catching me up and saying, hey, this is what's going on in my life. But what was remarkable was what happened after that. Now we could all agree that that was tragic what happened, that's difficult. That's not easy, and he could have said, hey, listen, 
can we just focus on me for a second? My life is really, really cruddy right now. But that's not what's remarkable. What was remarkable is the last, I don't know, 10 to 12 minutes of the conversation went something along these lines. But God is still good. But God is still in control. But God is still with us. But God still loves us. All of the attention was off of him and put right where it belonged. Even though rightfully so, it could have been put on him and he could have said, can we just talk and focus on me and how cruddy my situation is? Can I get some of the attention? He didn't want any of that. And that's what's so remarkable. And that's the same remarkable faith that Joseph had. In the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all that he had been through, he said, I don't need any of the attention. In fact, give it back to God. Don't focus on me, focus on God. I can't do it, only God can do it. Two years prior to this, Joseph had another opportunity when we're introduced to the baker and the cupbearer. They have have dreams that they can't interpret. And Joseph, this is his response to them in, in chapter 40, verse eight, it says, they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph had this unique, this unique trait in any and every season of his life to take the attention off of Joseph and put it back onto God where it rightfully belonged. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us in here and watching online today. And that's this, you can fill this in. Don't get so distracted by what you feel that you forget God. Don't get so distracted by what you feel that you forget God. Another word you could think there is don't get so distracted by what you see, all the difficulty, all the stuff that's happening around in your life. Don't get so distracted by these things that are happening all around us that we forget God because it's easy to forget God when we see a difficult moment happening in front of us. And the great lesson about Joseph is Joseph didn't let these moments distract him away from God's activity and what the Lord was doing in his life. And when we open up the Bible, when we open up God's word, one of the things that that God's word teaches us is that we can actually have confidence in him throughout the difficult seasons in different moments, the twists and turns of life. And his word teaches us why we can have the same confidence that Joseph had. In 2 Peter chapter one, it says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything. Notice it says everything. What it doesn't say is God has given us some of what we need or a portion of what we need. It says God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us a great given us great and precious promises. In the book of Philippians, chapter one, verse six says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, I love that definitive word, that definitive statement, he will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, so we say with confidence, Confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? We can have confidence in our lives during the twists and turns, the different seasons, the difficulties, the roller coasters, the up and downs. Why? We can have confidence that God is there because he is our helper. He has given us everything we need to face the difficult seasons of our lives. So I wanna bring it in the room for just a moment and I want us to ponder a question. But before we put the question up on the screen, 
screen. I want you to think of the moment in your life, the place that's happening in your life that you need the Lord to show up most in. Maybe for some of us, it's a really, really big financially. We need the Lord to show up in this place in our lives. Maybe it's not super big. Maybe it's kind of small. Maybe it's something with your family or a friend. But think of that moment where you would say, if there's one area of my life that I, could, I need God to show up the most in, it's this. And I want you to think about this question as you think about that moment. Here's the question. In that moment, are, am I placing my confidence in God or myself? When you think about that difficulty that you may be facing, the, the situation that you need the Lord to show up most in in your life, is your confidence in God to take control of that or is your confidence in yourself that I've got it like for instance when we think about financially if you think about your finances are we inviting God into our finances or is it all on you like let me create this perfect plan let me do all this this is how I spend my money no I can't give any more to God because this is exactly that that goes against what my financial plan says so God you know you stay over there I'm going to stay right here in my lane and I'm going to fill it out or are we saying hey God listen you're the this is all belongs to you God you take control of my finances we think about our family is it all up to us to lead our family I've got to be the best leader. It's all on me. It's all on me. Or are we saying, God, why don't you come and lead my family? Are we inviting God to lead our family? We think about our work. Is our work based off of everything that we can do? Let me work as hard as I can. Let me show everybody how hard I work, how much time I spend working, so I can show people and prove to them how good of a worker I am. And in fact, if I work hard enough, I'll get noticed and I'll get that promotion. Is it all on us in our work? Are we saying, hey, Lord, I give my job to you. God, I give it to you. I'm inviting you in, God. If this isn't what you have for me, Tell me, show me. I wrote this down before I came up here because I've been in this situation myself too, but when we think about our health, maybe there's something going on in our health. And for so long, maybe it's been just on you to figure it out. You're leaning on every website to tell you what it is. Let me get it all, let me figure it all out. Let me get all the essential oils. I'm just kidding, that's just, I don't know. <laughs> let me do this, let me do that. Or are you saying, hey God, I may not have the answer, but I'm gonna lean on you solely. God, you are in control. It's difficult, it's tricky, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy, it's difficult. And one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because as humans, we have this human nature, this tendency to wanna to control. We wanna control the situations. We wanna have a handle and a grip on everything, and it's difficult to let go and to live this remarkable faith lifestyle that we must. There's a great example in the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts chapter three. We see the story of two men, Peter and John. They were disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus and they've been going around performing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, doing great things, sharing the gospel. Some amazing, amazing things were happening through Peter and John. And we get introduced to a character referred to as the lame beggar. 
He couldn't walk. They would, people would carry him out to the front of the gates, and he would beg for money and all different kinds of things. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John perform a miracle on this man. He's completely healed. He gets up. He's celebrating. And all the people around him, the Bible uses the word, which you're going to read here in a second, astonished. People were looking around saying, look what Peter, look what John did. But I want to share this story because the attention could have been all on them. Their confidence could have been all on themselves, but it wasn't. In Acts chapter 3, verse 11, 11 through 12, this is what it says. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Peter and John was saying to the people around them, this isn't me, this isn't us. None of the, the confidence we have is all in God. God is the one who did this. And when you, when you act like this and when you put the confidence completely in God, the attention completely on God, it gives God credit. So you can fill this in. Godly confidence gives God credit. Godly confidence gives God credit. Godly confidence put, puts all the attention right where it belongs. It takes it off of us and puts it rightfully where it belongs. And that's solely and only on God. So to have remarkable faith, extraordinary faith, we must walk through this life with confidence that is focused solely on God. So that was number one, Joseph's remarkable faith required complete confidence in God. And number two, you can fill this in, Joseph's remarkable faith produced an exceptional promotion. Produced an exceptional promotion. I see that in verses 39 and 40. This is Pharaoh speaking. Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. That's a big shift from where he was at. That's a big shift from where he was at. He was in the dungeon to now being in charge of all the land of Egypt, only submitting to Pharaoh and that's it. That's a big shift. Now, I also want to interject something here. When I use the word promotion, I want to be careful that we don't think of the idea that it's just about a promotion. Like, if you have remarkable faith, you're going to get a promotion at work. That's not what I mean. I want to be careful here. Another word that you could be thinking of when I say promotion is freedom. Remarkable faith produces freedom because it's focused solely on God. Because that is who God is. So there's a big shift that happens here, this big promotion, this set, this set of freedom that happened in Joseph's life. Let's walk through his story again. He was sold by his brothers. He was lied about. For years he sat in prison. He was forgotten and left there. To then be leader over all of that, you can make the argument that in one moment, Joseph went from a prison to a palace. And the lesson in that is this is that that's the power and the authority that God has in all of our lives. He can take us from the prison and the difficulty that we may feel that we're in right now, the thing that seems that we'll never break out of, and he can break us out and bring freedom in that moment, in just a single instance, and set us in a place we could have never imagined. And I wanna make a side note here. This promotion could have been impacted by the fact that Pharaoh noticed something in Joseph. I think he noticed Joseph's remarkable faith. In verse 38, this is what it says. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? 
That's like Pharaoh saying, is there anybody else that has as remarkable faith as Joseph? I don't think there's anybody that has as remarkable a faith as Joseph has. This moment in Joseph's story is just another amazing example of the power that a moment with God can bring, the authority and the power that God has. He wants to, and I I wanna use that word, he wants to. He has a desire to bring us from the pit, from the dungeon that we may see in front of us, and he wants to bring us into something better, a moment we could have never expected. I wanna share a story with you. some time ago, earlier this year, I was having a conversation with a young girl here at the church, and um, she, she gave me permission to share this story. I won't share her, her real name, but we're going to call her Pam. So her name's Pam. So I was speaking with Pam, and she had come to me because she had been battling depression, and she had shared with me that her whole life, every day, she had been depressed, anxious, having anxiety, um, actually some suicidal um, thoughts and tendencies, had acted on um, attempted suicide a handful of times, and was saying, I- I've tried everything. I-, I don't know what else to do. And so we started meeting, and we started praying and talking about it, which is great things to do. That's what you should do. You should pray about it. You should do these things. And as the weeks went by, the, the suicide didn't go away, the depression, anxiety, it was still there. All of that was still relevant in her life. But then this one night, we're, we're, we're meeting, we're talking, we're praying, and I stop and interject a challenge to her. I challenged her with this. I said, hey, next time you're worshiping, why don't you put all the attention on God and tell God, hey, God, I believe that you will show up. Like, what, what, if, what if the next time you worshiped, you worshiped with the sense and the expectation that, God, you will bring freedom. God, you will bring promotion in my life. And you begin to tell God, it may not look like what I want. It may not happen when I want it. But, God, I believe that you will show up. So I share that with her. And just, just, just a little bit of time later, worship is going on. And I look over, and this young lady is on her face weeping. And I'm saying, wow, the Lord is doing something over there. That's amazing. So fast forward a few weeks after that, this young woman grabs me out in the atrium. She pulls me aside and she says, Cameron, can I share something with you? I haven't had a single thought of depression or anxiety or been suicidal in three straight weeks. Friends, yes, amen. That is the power that one moment with God can bring. That's the authority that God has. He can take us from a pit of despair and hurt and pain and worry and put us into a place that we could have never, um, ever imagined. Man, that's awesome. That's preaching right there. Sorry. (laughs) You can fill this in. Where the world brings despair, God brings freedom. Where the world brings despair, God brings freedom. That is who God is. And again, that is what God wants to do. God wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring hope. The world is the opposite. The world wants to bring more hurt and anxiety and fear and worry and depression. And God's saying, lean on me. Because when you lean on me, friend, I want, son, daughter, I want to bring freedom and promotion in your life. There's another amazing story in the book of Mark chapter 5 were introduced to a young woman who had been subject to bleeding for uh, many years, majority of her life. And based off Jewish tradition and law, this meant that she was ceremonially unclean. 
which meant that she couldn't be around people. She was considered an outcast of society. She, could, she probably couldn't hold a job. She couldn't have any friends. She was a complete outcast in her time. But she has a moment where she puts all her eggs into a basket and says, everything else has failed. Because it says in this story, it tells us that doctors, no one could do anything. So she puts all her eggs in a basket and says, I believe that maybe even just Jesus, if I focus solely on Jesus, if I just touch his cloak, I bet he can heal me. Let's read this story together in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 27. This is speaking of the woman. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, this is Jesus speaking, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. These moments of promotion and freedom are marked by people who cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe, even though others are all around me and it seems scary and it seems worrisome, I believe that even if it's just your cloak, that you can bring freedom and promotion in my life and I believe that you want to do that in my life. And we can trust, that's a great word for us, we can trust that God wants to bring that freedom in our lives because the Bible, that sounds kind of like the, I think there's an old nursery song because the Bible tells us so. We can have that trust because the Bible tells us so. We can have that confidence of that promotion happening because the Bible tells us so. Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter seven, paints an amazing picture of this promise of freedom in our lives. Here it is. In Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eight, it says, ask, and I love this, it will be given to you. Another definitive statement, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I love the definitive statements in this. It's not saying ask and it could potentially be given to you if you're good enough, if you look this way, if you dress this way, if you go to church, this, no, it says it will be given to you. You will find. Now let's leave this up for a second because these are great and precious promises to us that the Lord will show up and meet us in the midst of wherever we're at. He will answer. But this passage right here in a new light actually displays what remarkable faith is because to receive these things, it requires something from us. Here's another way we could look at it. Ask and it will be given. Seek and we'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who is seeking, he'll, she'll find, and to the one who's knocking, the door will be opened. Friends, this is what remarkable faith looks like. Remarkable faith is asking, seeking, knocking, believing, trusting, knowing, being assured that in every season of my life, the Lord is there with me. Your last fill in the blank. This is a challenge for us this week. Let's live remarkably. This week, let's live remarkably. Let's live trusting and believing, knowing, having confidence in the Lord that he is there with us throughout all seasons of our lives. And friends, this one week can turn into two weeks, that two weeks can turn into a month, and then it can turn into a lifestyle of living remarkably. So let's live remarkably. So to recap, Joseph's remarkable faith required, wow, thank you so much. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Joseph's remarkable faith required complete confidence in God, and Joseph's remarkable faith produced an exceptional promotion. With that, would you stand, and we'll move into a time of ministry. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless, and see you next time.